When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here and joining me, a special guest, my guest, just one, my offensive line expert, Brandon Thorne, who works for Scouting Academy, also writes for FanRag Sports and Inside the Pylon. Brandon, how are you? I'm doing good, Matt. Just excited to join you again. This is, you know, this is one of my favorite shows to do. All offensive line play is, is a good day. Well, I was just telling you before we hit record here that... This might be the only market in the NFL who is super, super interested to hear a breakdown of every offensive lineman because of what they went through last year and how much the offensive line derailed this team. I want to get into each individual with you because this is your forte. This is what you study all the time. If people follow you on Twitter, you're breaking down techniques of different offensive linemen who you like uh, in the NFL, so they should follow you on Twitter too. Uh, If you're interested in how much offensive line play impacts your success on offense, which I got to say, Brandon, I was, up until last year, the person who said, eh, you know, if you have a great quarterback, you'll overcome all that. You'll be fine. Offensive line, the whole thing, these these analysts who spend all this time talking about it, it's a, it's a little overrated, you know. And then after watching that last year, I went, okay, it's everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely. Like, you know, and how many Aaron Rodgers are there? Very few, you know, a handful of elite quarterbacks. So, yeah, I, I'm a firm believer, you know, when you build the team, you build from the inside out. And, you know, games are won and lost on the line of scrimmage. I know it's cliche, but that's something that I've always kind of stuck to. And I – you know, and I, I see it come to fruition, it seems like, every year, you know, for the most part across the league. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk about the Vikings offensive line because, you know, we talked previously about, you know, last year's offensive line, and it's really night and day. And, you know, it's still, you know, just really, you know, probably an average to above average offensive line. But, I mean, compared to last year, it's like, you you know, you got the Dallas Cowboys out here or something. So <laughs> it's it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm excited for you guys, and it's, it's fun to watch. Well, the big picture, before I get to the individuals with you, from what I've seen is that all of a sudden Pat Shermer can open up his playbook, that he's been allowed to do so many different things with this offensive line as a whole because it was built with 
kind of an identity that uh, there's uh, mobile offensive linemen, guys who are, are veterans and experienced outside of Pat Elfline, who kind of plays like a veteran already. And, and it's allowed him to mix in a lot of different screens and even on pass plays where they've got movement going on up front. And now that uh, Delvin Cook went down, they've kind of switched when Latavius Murray is to more of a power running scheme, which seems like it would be tough when you've designed everything to be a a zone and then you just have to switch on the fly like that. Uh, That, to me, has been the biggest impact. Outside of just not giving up quarterback sacks, it's that Pat Shermer can do pretty much anything he wants and these guys can adapt to it. Yeah, I mean, I'm just finishing up the uh, Browns game, you know, last week with you guys and I'm just seeing so like exactly what you're saying, just so many different things. I mean, lots of combo blocks, a lot of inside zone. Um, but I've also seen, you know, play action and pulling the guard, you know, to suck up the linebackers, you know, things like, I mean, so like you're saying, a lot of, a lot of diversity with the blocking concepts, um, a good mix of zone and, and traditional man blocking, um, you know, and I think it's working well. But like you said, I, th- I think you have a lot of smart players on the offensive line, a lot of guys who have played a lot. And like you said, Pat Elfline has has really kind of, I think, solidified that interior. He's the leader of the interior right now, in my opinion. Um, Joe Berger obviously has a lot more experience, and I think that helps him. But at the same time, Berger, you know, you know, I think he has some deficiencies, especially in pass protection. You know, I have a couple notes, you know, things like when, when stunts come his way um, and he has to pass off a guy instead of just passing him off and keeping his shoulders squared in the line of scrimmage to wait for the next threat, he'll oftentimes carry that first guy too far, turn his shoulders, and then, you know, a guy will come looping around his backside and get free, you know, for a pressure. Saw that a couple times in the game. So, Stuff like that veterans shouldn't do. You know, they shouldn't make those type of mistakes. But still, I, I see him looking for work a lot. I've highlighted that the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he does that well in pass protection. You know, when he's uncovered and nothing's happening, he'll look to his left and right and assist, you know, the right tackle and center. And, you know, he'll de- he'll deliver some pretty violent shots that, you know, get guys on the ground. So that's helpful. You know, I think he's a – you know, decent player there, but I, I, I do think he's probably the, the weakest guy on that offensive line um, in terms of, you know, overall skill set. Um, you know, and it sucks that Mike Remmers went down with concussion. Hopefully he'll, he'll you know, get back after the bye week. Um, but Remmers has been a guy that I think has played really well. He looks more like, you know, on previous podcasts I mentioned how I liked him in 2015 a lot at right tackle for the Panthers. Um, that was when he was able to play right tackle. You know, last year he had to play left tackle um, a lot for the Panthers, and that didn't work out well at all. So to see him back at right is nice. You know, I think he's, you know, like I've, like I've said in the past, a good run blocker and, uh, you know, an average pass blocker. Um, and I, I kind of uh, have seen that from what I've seen of him. But he, he's been good in pass protection too, you know. I mean, he, you know, I think the mean is more average, but, he, you know, he has a lot of good there. Um uh, but Riley Reef, man, to me is, you know, and I think to most people, I think he's been the best offensive lineman this year. Um, you know, I, I preferred him at right tackle, but to see him at left tackle do this well is, is really awesome. Um, he's healthy and it's just good to see. I mean, he's, he's really good in pass protection, you know, getting to his spot, getting out of his stance and then, you know, achieving that. Um, half-man relationship with pass rushers off the edge so he's constantly in a good position to use his hands and to not get beat 
you know, inside or outside because his hips are square to the line of scrimmage, um, you know, and he has good power, you know, he's a good anchor, you know, he's able to kind of, you know, um, hop down and, you know, create uh, force with the insteps of his feet to, to stop pressure, you know, from running him over. Um, so, you know, I think he's a good pass protector and, you know, he's a really smart player in the run game. He, he really identifies things quickly. And so, you know, Riley Reef to me has been the guy and then Elf line, you know, is, is really that number two guy on the line to me and, you know, potential to become that number one guy here shortly if, if he isn't already there. You know, I, I just see all the same stuff I see that I saw, you know, on his college film, honestly. He's just smart player, um, underrated athleticism. You see that and, you know, how they pull him, how they get him out in space on screens, even though I would like to see their screen execution game step up because it seems like, so many times he's out there on screen ready to ready to go and he's leading and then, you know, it's incomplete or it takes forever to develop and he gets in, you know, an eligible man downfield. And so, you know, that's nitpicking, but, but yeah, I really like that offline, man. I mean, the, the one thing that I've seen about with offline though, that is co- constantly came up. He's, he's gone against a lot of um, really good defensive uh, interior defensive linemen, like Akeem Hicks, and guys like that, and, you know, guys with elite play strength, which I don't think – I think I may have overvalued his play strength just a little bit compared to the elite NFL play strength that he's seen because guys with good length and that play strength, they can get into his chest and kind of overrun him a little bit, um, and he'll fall off some blocks against those guys. But that's the only real, like, kind of weakness, glaring weakness that I see with him. Aside from that, I think he's a very good run blocker. Um, and, you know, we've seen that time and time again, I think, this year. I, I know you mentioned that, you know, Pro Football Focus doesn't like him this year, but you know, I don't know. I, I see something totally different. Um, yeah, and then Isadora, man, from uh, from Miami is a guy. I, I, I didn't evaluate him coming out, but I did see him, you know, um, sparingly. And I, I really liked what he could bring in the run game. Um, and I, I think I'm seeing some of that you know, this year and the, in the few games that I've seen of him, um, you know, I, I think that he, he'll get himself into some awkward positions and pass protection. You know, they ask him to, they asked him to down block on Danny Shelton, you know, who plays really the zero technique, right? The head over, mm-hmm. he's head over pad offline. And they'll ask him to down block, um, you know, on, in pass protection and, and come down on him. And he kind of, you know, is awkward out of his stance you know, his base will get compromised. He got tossed a few times by Shelton. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, kind of give a good picture of, you know, his plus and minuses. But, you know, uh, against pass protection, like one-on-one against a three technique, you know, a couple times he'll underset a guy. So he won't really get out of his stance very explosively to either side. And he'll fall behind the guy and let him kind of win the corner prematurely as opposed to winning that half-man relationship and being in position to use his hands. So that that's kind of the, the, the weaknesses I've seen in him. But, you know, he's an inexperienced guy, and, you know, he has a lot on his plate. So I, I think those type of things will come. But, you know, in the run game, I think he does good things, especially on, you know, double teams and combo blocks with Reef and Elfline. And, um, you know, I, the two-point conversion, he had a really nice um, – he worked off a combo. He, he banged down and helped Elfline secure that first guy and then came off really nicely, timely, to the, the scraping linebacker over the top. 
So, you know, I've seen good things from him. And, um, yeah, I just think you have a promising young, well, somewhat young offensive line now, which is really cool. With Isadora, that was a guy that Mike Zimmer had been mentioning that he liked going all the way back to OTAs, which seems like kind of a steal to get a guy with some type of potential there in the fifth round. Um, but, I, Brandon, I want, to go, I want to go back to Pat Elfline there with you. Yeah. Because speaking of the draft, I know that you and I talked, and this was even before they picked him, and you name-dropped Pat Elfline as a guy that you would love to see on the Minnesota Vikings. And then it came to fruition. He won the job in training camp. I know you were beaming with pride over that. And uh, why do you think that he dropped to the third round? Because what I see here is a real impact player, not just a guy who can play center and hold up. But you mentioned on the screen game, I don't think that there are too many centers in the league who are out 20 yards out in front of their running back by the time he gets the ball sometimes. I mean, I know illegal man downfield. They don't call it very often. He got dinged on it once this year. But, I mean, there are plays that end 20, 30 yards down the field that they've ripped off big chunks on screen plays where Pat Elfline is all the way down still in front of the running back making a block on somebody. And with Berger playing center last year, I couldn't have imagined that happening. And I, I think the screen game and his ability in the, in the middle to get out there is one of the biggest reasons that this team has been able to continue to pass the ball with Case Keenum because Keenum, I mean, is inaccurate on intermediate throws. Every once in a while, he launches it up and Stefan Diggs or Adam Thielen makes a great play. But for the most part, Pat Shermer has had to dial up short stuff for him, and that's involved a lot of Pat Elfline getting out there. So I, I see an exceptional talent. I see a guy who was the Remington Award winner for the best center in the country. Why would he end up in the third round? I'm still confused about that. Yeah, it's a good question, um, you know, because I, I did a full evaluation for him for the inside the pylon draft guide, and I gave him a late first round grade, you know, or like early second at worst, but I, I gave him late first. And, you know, I, I don't know, man. I mean, I've tried to, you know, nitpick him, and I, I think maybe, you know, the the he doesn't have great length. I, I don't know, but it's not bad. You know, I think he, he's 33 and a fourth, um, you know, six foot three, 303, so not – you know, maybe you know, you'd ideally like him to have 10 more pounds, you know, on him, you know, to be that Travis Frederick type, you know, bigger kind of guy. But he has enough size, you know, and enough length. And so those are the only two things that I saw that weren't like first round, you know, ideals. But uh, I mean, you know, 40 starts in college, you know, like you mentioned, the Remington Award winner, uh, a very good wrestling background. Um you know, and then you watch his film and it was excellent. You know, I, I really liked everything he did on film. I thought his run blocking, his play strength and his competitive toughness were all very good. Um, and that's why I thought he could step in day one and be a good starter, um, really with those three areas of this game leading the way. And um, I think we've seen a lot of that. Um, but, you know, like I mentioned, um, you know, guys that he's played, you know, on the schedule, you know, I mean, he's he's gone against tough interior guys, you know, like Jared McCoy and uh, McKeem Hicks and, um, you know, Javon Hargrave and Kenny Clark, you know, with the Packers. And so he's, you know, and the Ravens, you know, Michael Pierce. I mean, he's faced some some premier interior defensive linemen. So you're going to see some struggles, and I've seen some of them. But for the most part, by and large, I, I think you guys got, you know, a 10-year starter in the middle. Um, you know, and it's interesting because – 
he had 40 college starts, but he, he only had 12 at center. He had 25 starts at right guard. So he's really only played 20 games at center in his life, you know, at, you know, from college and pro. So I think he could get better. Um, and I, I think he will get better. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm stoked that you guys got Pat, Al, Pat Alfline, who was my favorite player in the draft. You know, every year I kind of have one offensive lineman that's my guy. And, you know, it was Cody Whitehair the year before and Pat Elfline this year, man. And, uh, you know, it's just good to see that he's doing well there. I think he's in a, a great spot for him. Well, two things on the pro football focus grade. Sometimes I feel like uh, I'm – in the middle with my hands out, pushing everybody back as the pro football focus people want to fight with the scouting people. And sometimes, sometimes I feel like, okay, hold on. Let me explain the pro football focus grade. So with Elfline, what you just mentioned, I think that that's what it is right now. He's got a 41 and is rated 30th out of 36 centers, but the competition is a huge deal. I I mean, if you play against some backup just guy and you dominate him you get a great you get graded on the same scale as you would if you play against Mike Daniels and that's a lot different I mean it's the same thing people have bemoaned that Xavier Rhodes isn't higher he's 18th right now they want him to be number one because he's been really incredible but he faced Antonio Brown Mike Evans Michael Thomas Jordy Nelson, or actually he was on Devontae Adams, but a a bunch of good wide receivers. He's always facing the number one. So if those guys get a couple catches, you might say, well, man, you held uh, Mike Evans to five catches for 45 yards. That's pretty good. But it's graded on the same scale as the guy who's facing the poor wide receiver for the Browns who may give up no catches, right? Because the Browns have no wide receivers. So over a long period of time, I think these things even out. But like you've said, the draw that he's gotten off the beginning of his career has been a murderer's row of interior defensive linemen. And I think that he's right. done a great job. But of every once in a while, Brandon Williams is going to blast you because he's one of the best in the NFL and they paid him a truckload of money because of that. So, I mean, if you imagine right. it from the other perspective, Linval Joseph, I bet very few centers have good grades against Linval Joseph this year. Because he's Linval Joseph, right? So that's one right. thing to to keep in mind there. Um, the other thing with uh, Pat Elfline that, I mean, I, I think when guys are coming out in the draft, you always hear, hey, this is a team guy. This is a high character guy. And, uh, my, you know, I kind of fall asleep while they're talking about that part of it. Not, not that I don't think that makeup and character matters. It's just every other guy. Oh, he's a great guy. This is a great guy. Uh, very re- you you have to do something really bad for them to say you don't have good character around draft time uh but with elfline his toughness and character has fit in so well with an offensive line that seems to be built on a particular type of culture which i know goes right in that cliche bit but uh, i i think that his maturity to play this position with a bunch of guys who have been around a while uh, i think that's been a major part of his success yeah, I mean, you know, obviously from the outside, we can't see what his personal character is too much. We can hear things through the grapevine, like you mentioned. But I think, you know, football character is different. And I think that you could definitely see some of that on film. And, you know, I I categorize it as, you know, competitive toughness. That's how much does he look like he cares, you know, um, 
how how hard is he playing from snap to snap? Does he play harder in the final two minutes of the half than at the game? Is he playing the same in the fourth quarter as he, as he is in the first quarter? Is he playing with the same effort when he's getting blown out by 30 as if he's up by 30? These are all things that I look for on film when I'm evaluating any player, you know, because competitive toughness is for any player, but especially offensive linemen, because that, it, it just, it sets the tone, you know, and that's what offensive linemen are supposed to do. So that was something that I thought he was very good in, if not elite, you know, at the college level. And he's playing big time college football at Ohio State, mm-hmm. um, you know, dealing with, you know, uh, inclement weather, stuff like that. You know, th- these things, you know, tend to make human beings not want to play as hard, you know, and but you see him out there you know, giving it 110%, you know, motor, all, all the cliche stuff, you know, motor runs hot, everything, all that stuff you see, but, you know, being able to identify it and looking for it, you know, that's a different thing that not a lot of people necessarily, I guess, do when they're watching film. But, you know, I was taught to do that with the scouting Academy. And I think it, I think it helps, you know, because like you said, we're seeing it now bleed through the film, you know, as a pro. And it, it also, you know, it, it makes you become, you know, a leader that much quicker because if you're, um, I remember Mitchell Schwartz was, you know, I had a conversation with him, a couple of conversations with him, but um, he told me, you know, when he was in Cleveland and Alex Mack was there, Alex Mack is finishing blocks every single time. And he is, I mean, he's risking his body doing all that stuff. And if you have that guy doing that as the leader, it makes you want to do that. And if you're not going to do it, you're not going to play. So that right there, I mean, that's just so valuable. And I think that's the kind of guy that you get with Pat Elfline on the field. And um, yeah, man, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. The, the competitive toughness with him is, is evident. And it, uh, it, I, I think it, it makes other people better around him as well. You know, I, I had a chance to uh, broadcast minor league baseball was one of the things that I did kind of along the way in my career for a couple of years. And the cool thing about minor league baseball is that there are MLB scouts just kind of around and they're just sitting there or they come in the press box and talk to you or whatever else because they go from city to city to city and have nothing else to do for a couple hours before the game except for watch batting practice and then just wait for the game to happen. So I I had a chance to have many conversations with them, and one of the things that they talked about was watching players when the game is out of hand. Watching them even closer, if there's somebody that you like and it's not close or you're way up or you're way down, and seeing how somebody continues to compete, or if it's the team's 15th game in 14 days or something, watch that guy really closely. Watch him in Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Watch him in warm-ups. Watch him in the dugout. Watch him, and, and you could tell a lot. I mean, there are the superstar guys that are so talented they almost can't fail. But there, those are very few and far between. And the difference between right. making it and not is often just how hard uh, you compete, how much you want it. So all that stuff, uh, it, it applies across every sport. With Riley Reef, right. um, Jim Caldwell. We were talking to him on a conference call before the Lions game. He said that Riley Reef was the best, one of the best humans that he had been around, and one of his favorite players to ever coach. And it didn't, wow. it did not sound just fluffy. And Riley Reef came in; they made him a captain. And I, I think that as much as Elfline has impacted the offensive line, that Reef right now is making the biggest impact, maybe of any player on the entire offense for this season so far that I I would agree with Judd Zolgad who named him 
the first half MVP of, of the Vikings. Zero sacks allowed so far. And I think that his he, he has sort of set the standard as a guy who came in and, and got a ton of money to be here. And anytime a guy gets paid, you wonder like, okay, what's he going to bring? Is, is this sort of his, all right, I got my contract. Now I'm just going to go about my business. Or is he going to keep competing at a high level? And he's been, to me, the biggest difference maker for a guy that I didn't know what he was going to bring exactly and, and has been fantastic. I think going back to the pro football focus grade, he's kind of in the upper middle, but uh, I, I think that he has made as much of an impact on any offense as any left tackle in the NFL. Yeah, um, he's, you know, I think he's probably, you know, I, I hate to just like, you know, marginalize him or something, but, you know, I, you could say maybe like the outside of the top 10, like left tackles, you know, maybe right in there somewhere, some, something like that. You know, he's, he's a guy that I really liked in Detroit, um, you know, albeit a right tackle, but um, he's a guy I think who does everything pretty well, you know, nothing, you know, nothing great. Yeah. I don't think he is elite really in any one area, but he's good in almost every area and he's healthy. And I think that's a huge thing. He he dealt with a nagging injury almost all last year with Detroit. Um, you know, the, the first half of the season, I did a mid-season all-pro team. He was first team right tackle on that team because of what I saw in film. And then he had some, some weird injury. I forgot what it was. And then the rest of the year, he just wasn't the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, you know, he's had some, he's put together, you know, a good career, um, some, some solid years. And I, I think that he's just consistent you know, when he's healthy and which he is now. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing that I see when I'm watching you know, the Vikings offensive line. He's the most consistent offensive lineman on the field, and he is good in pretty much every area of the game. And that's that's Riley Reef. And, uh, you know, uh, it's cool that Minnesota and, you know, you guys, you know, just, you know, in Minnesota appreciate that as much as you do because I, I think it should be appreciated because, you know, you've seen the opposite of that and, and you've seen what a guy like this can do for an offense. And I think, I think it's awesome, you know, and I'm a big Riley Reef fan for sure. Yeah. He's uh, really solidified that side of the offensive line. And when Nick Easton has been in there, uh, Nick Easton has not to me performed as well as some of the other offensive linemen, but has fit kind of what they wanted to do. Um, I know you were focusing on uh, the Browns tape a little bit more, so I don't know how much that you saw of Easton, but it was a big decision that the Vikings made before the year to let Alex Boone go and decide to go with Easton, who had been just a center and only played five games the year before, and really in training camp had only played center for the most part outside of one game, but had shown mobility, and he fits in much better with the rest of the room. I mean, the thing about Alex Boone, other than not fitting the outside zone run scheme because he had trouble blocking in in space and when he had to move because he's so gigantic, but he was also loud. He was also over the top. He was also swearing in every interview and making big, ridiculous statements. I mean, he said uh, in training camp that uh, the Packers would win the Super Bowl in Minnesota over his dead, bleeping body, which, of course, is going to make a headline everywhere around the NFL. And, and then you go to Nick Easton who you can't get two words out of Nick Easton. <laughs> and I mean that in a good way. Like he's, he's one of the, he's a smart guy. He went to Harvard, but 
uh, you can't get a whole lot out of them when you talk to them. And I think that that's much more of what they wanted. What, what did you make of the decision to move on from Boone and, and have Easton start at that spot? Well, it's good context that you provide there. Cause I mean, you know, I, I knew a little bit about Boone, you know, and being kind of a, you know, overly outspoken guy and, you know, with offensive line, I mean, I, you know, I grew up watching the Broncos in the nineties and they were notorious for not speaking to the media and, in Denver, like, you know, Tom Nalen was like the, the leader of that. It's like, you, we just don't talk to the media, period. And that's kind of the way I've always thought offensive linemen should be since then. And that's kind of the way they still are for the most part. Um, you know, and I think they like it that way. So, yeah, getting rid of a guy like Boone who can, you know, disrupt that chemistry and, um, you know, that, that offensive line room, which is a sacred place, um, I think, you know, makes a lot of sense and I didn't know anything about um, Nick Easton you know in terms of personality or anything so that that right there just is a better fit you know in my mind but you know I've, I've seen a little bit of him and you know I, I really like his you know physicality you know I think he's I think he's really a, a good physical aggressive player um, you know I, I haven't watched him a ton you know so I can't go in detail like I did with the other guys too much um, but I, I think, you know, a guy like that, he needs more reps, you know, he needs time. Um, cause the, the stuff that I have seen with him, just being a little late to recognize things, mm-hmm. you know, you see his footwork and, you know, in different various blocks in the run game and just be a little bit off, a little bit slow, a little bit awkward. And, you know, those type of things, you know, I see with guys, you know, who are relatively inexperienced like that. So, yeah, I think I would like to see him, you know, a lot more in there. But now it's – I'm not sure what the situation is, you know, what you've – you know, what coaches have said and stuff. I mean, is Isidore just – is he just – does he just have that spot now or is – what's the deal there with Easton? I think Easton will come back and get that spot. I mean, Isadora was the number three. Okay. Um, Jeremiah Searles was the backup. Uh, Searles is a guy who's – he's played – and he's kind of moved around. He's been at right tackle before. He doesn't quite fit as well as Isidora, though, in my opinion, in what they want to do. But Searles played, I think, a lot in the Ravens game, which they ran a lot of power runs with Latavius Murray, and that worked for them. Or maybe that was the game he got hurt. Uh, I forget. But um, I think they liked Searles' experience a little bit more, but... Isidora might be the backup now. I think they were happy with the way Nick Easton played. The game he got hurt, actually, uh, was against Chicago, and he had a terrific cut block, or whatever you want to call it, um, on a 58-yard touchdown run by Jarek McKinnon. So that was kind of like right before he got hurt. So I think that they were thrilled with him, and when I watched the game back, I thought it was his best game by far. So I think he was making progress going forward, and uh, so he'll go back in. But Isidora might be a guy that they end up seeing as your long-term at right tackle because Joe Berger has said that he's going to retire after this year. So they may look at it now as, yeah, we don't have to draft a guy and, and spend a pick there because now you can move him over and then have Easton, and then you're still going to be set at center in the two guards, and then you feel like your offensive line is in good shape for, for quite some time. Um, I, I'm curious, what, did you have a thought on that? Oh, no. Um, well, a little bit on Easton. You know, I watched the Steelers game, and I, that's a game that I actually have some notes on that you know, I wanted to reference a little bit. I mean, you know, 
like I mentioned, being aggressive and physical, I, I thought that was, you know, things that really stood out, that competitive toughness element, which it seems like, well, I, I think it's a, it's pretty logical at this point. The, the Vikings really value competitive toughness in their offensive line. I mean, mm-hmm. Mike Remmers, Riley Reef, Pat Elfline, those are all, those are competitive toughness guys for sure. So, you know, and you would think offensive linemen are that in general, but really they're not. I mean, there's plenty of offensive line that aren't known for that, but those three are definitely that. And I think Easton fits that mold as well. So I think really that trait, you know, is his kind of redeeming one that I really like. Um, and yeah, man, he gets after people, you know, that, that Steeler game was pretty good. You know, I thought in terms of how he was getting after guys in the run game, just being very physical and aggressive pretty good with his hands, you know, to, to get inside guys' frames and control them. And, um, yeah, man, I just I just want to see him get more experience because I think that's really the, the key there to see, you know, kind of what he can blossom into. But, but yeah, it's it's cool to, to talk about the Vikings offensive line having multiple promising options. This is, this is cool. Uh, I would also like to say on that Pittsburgh game, Cameron Hayward deserves to be considered one of the best players in the NFL. My gosh. Oh, for sure. He was a sure. monster in that game. I mean, I, I, oh, yeah. he, I, he'll make people look bad. I knew who he sure. was and I knew he was considered like a top hundred player when the, uh, when the players vote and all that. But, um, I hadn't watched tape on him because clearly the Vikings don't often play the Pittsburgh Steelers. And when I did my goodness, I mean, he's like a defensive end who is the size of a defensive tackle. So he can just line up anywhere and he's too quick for the interior guys or too big and powerful for the interior guys too quick for the outside guys. (laughs) Like who invented this guy in a lab? Uh, But uh, anyway, just credit credit to him. He's like the centerpiece of their defense. For sure. He, he has unnatural strength, for sure. I mean, he elite play strength and, you know, kind of like his, you know, like his dad, just just a beast, you know, really physical and strong. And, yeah, he, he, he's a beast. Huge sure. Ironhead Hayward fan over here. Um, oh, man. I Gosh, me too. <laughs> used, to, used to use him on the, uh, the old uh, Super Nintendo video games. Oh, man. Great fullbacks back in the day. Those are my favorite. Yes, the uh, the Lorenzo Neals and Sam Gashes of the world. I was uh, I was yes, interviewing exactly. somebody that played with Sam Gash, who just could not stop raving over Sam Gash. And that's awesome. You know, I'd this, love to hear stories. Yeah, yeah. The, oh, I was watching um, the NFL put out uh, Ladanian Tomlinson the year he scored whatever number of touchdowns it was. I, I forget the the record. And so they're showing all the highlights. They showed every touchdown on almost every one. Lorenzo Neal is flying out in front of him and decking some linebacker. It's like, what a, what a beast. And you know, Brandon, I I don't know if you've noticed this or I'm sure you have. The Vikings are really using the second tight end in the fullback to their advantage. And I I think it's not only just to get personnel, um, which they, they get other teams and their base defenses and then can take advantage uh, but I also think that David Morgan and CJ Ham, your backup tight end and your fullback, have actually played a, a pretty big role in this team being able to have success uh, in the running game and in the screen game. Yeah, I agree. I see a lot of 12 personnel, especially in that Browns game. So, you know, two tight ends and a, and a back. I even saw 21, 22 personnel. So, you know, with the fullback in there. And yeah, that 
that fullback had a couple really nice block. Well, definitely one really nice block in Cleveland to a left side run where he, you know, just flew through, I think the C gap and, you know, really fit and kind of hit a linebacker with good pop. And, you know, I love seeing that, man. I mean, the fullback in there that, you know, not, not, not that you're going to run, you know, I formation every single time, but to mix in that fullback, I think, you know, it just kind of rattles those linebackers, you know, especially with all these undersized linebackers, if you can get a fullback in there, most of those guys don't want to see a fullback in, you know, in the A or B gap. They just don't want to. So, you know, mixing that in there, I think is, you know, like we talked about earlier, the diversity that I'm seeing from the Vikings is, is really cool, you know, and to incorporate the tight ends and fullback like that, it just makes, you know, it creates extra gaps for the defense to defend. And it really stresses the run fits and makes them play more disciplined football in the run game, you know, with increasing your chances of breaking one big. So, Man, I don't. I hate to mention it, but I wish Dalvin Cook was still healthy. But yeah. but anyway, we, we can we can not <laughs> stay on that. <laughs> Gosh. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I I think um, with Delvin Cook in training camp, all of us who were there on the sideline watching him on training camp in training camp said, "Okay, I know this guy supposedly had character issues, but how did he even get in the second round? Because Latavius Murray and Jarek McKinnon are good running backs, and he was so far ahead of them." It was astonishing. And he came out and did exactly what we all expected him to do. He was just hard to tackle, and he had tremendous vision. And uh, the thing about Delvin Cook that most people didn't realize that I discovered doing a long piece on him was he's another guy that has actually high football character. That even though he had gotten into some trouble in college, like you said, there's this big difference between having football character in a locker room, studying how much you're, how much you understand the game, understand your reads going through all that and how much you're focused on being a great player, as opposed to you got in trouble off the field. And I think he, I think he blew people away for a running back to come in and get a, a complex offense, fit in the running scheme so well as he did, and then just be extremely difficult to tackle, a big play threat on every play. Although I would say, uh, Brandon, Jarek McKinnon has done what I've thought he was going to do, that uh, I, I spent all offseason on this podcast, so I've got receipts, as the kids say. I, I, I spent all offseason saying, you know, I'm excited to see what McKinnon can do with an offensive line. And this year I feel like he's stepped up big time when they've been down a guy who – Delvin Cook, I could see being a top five running back for the next five, six years or, or beyond. But uh, I, I think McKinnon has done a especially good job. Yeah, I think he's a good change of pace guy. I mean, he's, you know, one of the more explosive, better athletes in the league, you know, twitchy guy who can give you, you know, make make the initial defender miss, you know, more often than not. And, you know, pretty good long speed as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm all for Jarek McKinnon. I mean, I, I I enjoy him, and I think that, you know, Cook is a great number one to have, and McKinnon's a, a good number two to have. You know, moving forward. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I, I'm a McKinnon fan. Yeah, it'll be interesting if someone decides to give him a big paycheck, or if he wants to stay in Minnesota with. Uh, being the number two to Delvin Cook, I, I guess we'll find that out. Somebody sent me a tweet about what the Vikings are going to do in the offseason. Like, we're in week eight, man. Um, so I won't talk too much about that. But just big picture, last thing for you, Brandon. As always, this is just great. You bring insight on the offensive line that very few human beings walking around talking about football can do, and I appreciate that. Um, just big picture on this Vikings team. 
How how good do you think they are? Because uh, I, I think that's the big conversation coming out of the bye. Last year they were 5-0 and at the bye, and they missed the playoffs. I don't see that happening again because of the offensive line, because Aaron Rodgers isn't playing. Um, but I think the question now is where do they fit in in the NFC? How good can they really be? When will Teddy Bridgewater come back? There's all these number of questions, but from an outside perspective, uh, how do you see the Vikings as a whole? Well, honestly, not even, you know, before we ever met or anything, you know, when you hired Mike Zimmer, I was a huge fan. I thought he was, you know, the number one coordinator who should have been a head coach long before he even got hired. So just having a guy like Mike Zimmer leading the team, I, I'm going to be a fan. And I, I think what he brings, um, his leadership style player resonates with players I, you know, defensive head coach. I think your defense is very good. Um, you know, I mean, you're six and two going into the bye, and looking at the schedule, it's, it looks very favorable. The the last um, portion or the second half of the year, um, not a hard schedule at all. So, I definitely think the playoffs are are you know within the picture, and I, I'd be shocked if you guys don't win the division. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so division winner heading into the playoffs. And you know, get get at least one home playoff game. You know, up in Minnesota, I, I mean, I think the chances are good that you know you reach the NFC Championship game, um, at least the divisional. You know, and I just I think you're gonna be a tough out at home. You know, in the playoffs with that defense, the defensive line that you guys have. I mean, Daniil Hunter and Griffin and Joseph. You know, Tom Johnson. You know, rushing the passer and. I just think you're loaded on defense, you know, secondary, maybe the best safety in the league, one of maybe the best corner in the league, you know, fast, active linebackers that can cover a lot of ground and run sideline to sideline. Um, yeah, defense, I think you have it all. And offense, I mean, as long as you can keep developing this running game and guys stay healthy, hopefully Remmers is, is you know, just going to be able to come back and everything will be fine there. I, I mean – Dude, I don't see why Minnesota shouldn't be considered the top five, you know, team in the NFL. Honestly, I, I just I think that's just makes total sense to me. So I, I see you guys as a formidable formidable force that, you know, doesn't really have glaring weaknesses. I mean, granted, you know, how far can you go with a quarterback situation that you know that you guys have? That that's obviously the question. So that's why I'm not saying you know, yeah, you're gonna win the Super Bowl because. You know, the, the quarterback thing is obviously concerning, but um, everything else, it seems like, is just in place, you know. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just think you guys are legit. <laughs> well, the, the difference for me between talking about them as a Super Bowl contender and a team that should make the playoffs handily is Teddy Bridgewater, basically. I mean, if Bridgewater comes yeah. back and yep. uh, he's good to go, which is – would be a a miracle basically considering what he went through. Um, then I think that they can compete with just about anybody. Uh, do you have a scouting take on Teddy Bridgewater? Because you know, I, we got a phone call on the air the other day that struck me, um, just about his touchdown totals. And it's always frustrating with the traditional stats with quarterbacks. We all use quarterback rating. We all use touchdown and interception ratio, but they don't really tell a great story. Uh, it depends on how yeah. often you throw in the red zone or at the goal line. I remember Matthew Stafford had 
30 something touchdowns and 20 something of them were within the five yard line forward. You know I mean? So if they had just run the ball instead, he would have ended up with 20 touchdowns instead of 30. And then all of a sudden his quarterback rating looks like he's just okay instead of really good. You know what I mean? And did he really play better quarterback with Bridgewater? I think he could be a top notch quarterback because of his, uh, his accuracy going down the field, not 30, 40 yards, but 10 to 20 yards that he could pick defenses apart and be, I don't know, a Tony Romo like quarterback. I, I mean, I think he can really be that good if he's back to a hundred percent health. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know if I have like too, too much of a nuanced take on him. I didn't like, you know, evaluate him, you know, in depth or anything, but you know, watched a good amount of his games and stuff at uh, Louisville and, you know, in the pros and stuff. And like pretty much what you said, you know, a good, uh, I think he's a good short to intermediate passer, you know, has good touch on his ball, um, you know, pretty good accuracy, obviously not a great arm, not great size, but enough size. Um, definitely, you know, off field. And I know, you know, all about that as a guy that everyone wants to play for everyone loves, which is I think important to quarterback. Um, and I, I think he's, you know, a refined guy in terms of like footwork and, you know, um, coming out of his drop and, you know, throwing with good mechanics, you know, so I think he's a clean, um, you know, he, I thought he was a clean prospect coming out of Louisville um, that did that hit, you know, identifiable areas that he won. And that was, you know, short to intermediate primarily. And, you know, a lot of quarter, you can win with that, you know, especially with this team. So I'm, I'm rooting for him to come back and, you know, come back, you know, a hundred percent because, He's, he's stepping into uh, a far better situation than he's ever been been in, you know, in his football life, really. So <laughs> as long as everybody stays healthy. Yeah. So no question. I yeah. mean, uh, Mike Wallace, who didn't want to play there, um, Jarius Wright was, I think, the number two wide receiver. Uh, TJ Clemmings, I believe, started 16 games uh, in t- right. uh, in 2015. <laughs> so Matt Khalil, um, I. I I know that you don't like to hammer guys, but I'll just do it for you. Like Matt Khalil is just a mess. And you, you, we spent so much time talking about how the, the personality matters, the toughness matters, the commitment, all that stuff. Matt Khalil is the opposite of all of that. Everything that we say about Riley Reef, take Matt Khalil and flip it on its head. It's the opposite. And it's the reason why he's not one of the best players in the NFL, I think. A guy who in the offseason complained about too many getting too many tweets from Minnesota fans that it hurt his feelings. And he said that the offensive line coach didn't demand enough excellence in Minnesota. Like really? Like how about demanding excellence of yourself as opposed to trying to pin that on somebody else? And then uh, he's been really bad since he's gone to Carolina. So I guess they haven't demanded enough excellence there. Uh, But I, I get, I just, sometimes I get offended even though I know I'm you just cover the team and talk about this guy and that guy, but it almost offends me when a guy has unbelievable talent and he just makes up a bunch of excuses for him not being really truly committed or being an actual competitor. So anyway, I'll, I'll just end the podcast right there, Brandon on a Matt Khalil rant <laughs> because I think the biggest move of the off season that they ever could have made was not re-signing him. I think if they re-sign him, they're in much the same place that they had been. But the fact now that Teddy comes back with uh, a really good left tackle as opposed to one that's a mess um, is going to be a huge bonus. So anyway, that's all. That's all. End it. I, I won't make you comment on, on Matt Khalil. Um, but Brandon, as always, 
just uh, tremendous, tremendous detail in your analysis. Um, and <laughs> you couldn't have been more right on than you were about Pat Elfline when we talked before the draft. So I, I look forward to, to having you on again and, and talking about this as maybe as the Vikings go into the playoffs, we can talk about a, a playoff matchup between the offensive line and uh, whoever they're playing's defensive line. How about that? That sounds fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, man. This well, is awesome. Make sure you uh, follow Brandon on Twitter. It is, uh, let me uh, try to remember it from memory, at Veteran Scout, correct? That's right. How's the Air Force football team this year? Um, I'm, I think they just had a big win last weekend. I honestly don't even follow them, man. I mean, you know, they're all officers. I was enlisted. So, you know, it's cool that it's right up the road for me, but I'm not, you know, super into into the Air Force football football team so well, <laughs> can't tell you at least when they uh at least when they play army right then you have to get pumped for that oh yeah i mean you know i'll i'll definitely root for them if they're playing another service academy that's for sure all right there you go well uh at veteran scout the reason it's veteran is uh, not because you've been doing it for a while but because you were in the air force which is uh, right. just, just very cool. So follow him there. Great offensive line breakdowns. And once you start learning about offensive line, you can't stop. It's addicting. So uh, thanks again, Brandon. And thank you all for listening to another episode of the Purple Podcast.